Father in heaven, we're thankful to be here this morning. As we heard that scripture reading, Lord, we want to be able to leave this place with a testimony about how you can cleanse us, forgive us, and empower us to live for you. Guide us to that end, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I want you to imagine the most lonely experience that you've ever had in your life. Some of you might be about with depression. Some of you might have been in a situation where you felt like you were all by yourself or separated from family. I still remember that mission trip there. And I remember uh, a couple of things happened. First of all, my, my dog betrayed me. Um, my dog ceased being my dog and actually went over to my wife's side of the bed. And since then, she's never been my dog. You know? so, and I remember trying to call my wife on the phone and trying to just keep interacting with my dog and tell my wife I love her and all of that. And she sent me, my wife sent me all these letters. Open this letter. Actually, she gave them to me in my, my luggage. Open this letter one week later, all of this. And I still have the letters in my garage. I should have had them somewhere a little bit better than that. But anyway, and I remember opening those letters. And every time I opened one of those letters, it just reminded me that not only was my wife way over in America and now I felt lonely, but it also reminded me that she cared. And I want you to kind of take and bottle any kind of experience that you've had like that and to that lonely feeling and magnify it with the sense that you'll never see your family again. And if you could do that, which most of us haven't had to do that, except for when you lose a loved one and you think, man, I'm not going to see them for a long time until Jesus comes, then you might be able to relate to what's going on with this story we're going to see. Imagine there's somebody there, he's looked at his hands, and every day he, he looks at his body, he wonders just hope above anything. He just wishes that he could go home. He wishes that this leper colony that he's a part of, and people have to bring rations and food to him just to keep him alive and to the point where his body will rot away and he'll die like the rest of the lepers. He just wishes he could go home and be healed. Uh, it all happened, and you can imagine the average case of leprosy, and I'll read you one of them later on um, from the Desire of Ages, how these people would come to the priests and they would pr present themselves to the priests because they had this, this condition on their skin, and imagine the priest pronouncing to you, in essence, you'll never see your family again. Leave, and everywhere you go, cry out, unclean, unclean and go with those who are of your kind. And you find yourself in a leper colony and just, day, and just some time before you wonder to yourself as you're in that leper colony, how is my family? Can you imagine being one of those individuals, a mother, a daughter, a child, a father being separated from your family because of this disease? Imagine being a father and just before you found that dreaded indicator of disease, you began to watch your little boy go to his bar mitzvah and begin to learn the scriptures and come home excited that he's learning from the rabbis and, and he comes home and he just has all these plans for the future. Daddy, I want to be this, I want to do that. And, he just, and the next thing you know, this disease separates you from your family. You'll never get to watch your boy grow up. You'll never get to hug your wife again. You're now in exile, spiritually and physically from those that you love. Imagine you're sitting there in that leper colony remembering that. And then glimmers of hope begin to happen because, because there's something that contradicts what the rabbis have taught. In fact, the rabbis used to teach that leprosy resulted because of one of the seven sins in Proverbs. I want you to look at that list. Tell me if you've never committed one of those. It says, 
These six Jehovah hates, yea, seven are hateful to his soul, or an abomination to his soul. A proud look, so getting kind of a little puffed up there, right, you know? Uh, <clears throat> I'm better than you. A lying tongue, maybe even a white lie, right? Hands that shed innocent blood. So I never killed anybody, but I've been angry, all right? Heart that plots wicked plans. Feet hurrying to run to evil. Maybe in your younger days it happened. Or sometimes in your older days. A false witness who speaks lies. So in other words, tearing somebody else down to build yourself up. He who causes fighting among brothers. We never cause disunity amongst ourselves, do we? We read the Great Controversy. It says actually some of us are Satan's right-hand helpers. We do that all the time. So imagine someone telling you, okay, because of those things, the gossip, the, the going behind someone's back, making a phone call, whatever it may be, you just throw it in there. These almost like social sins. Now you're going to be outcast from your church. And God cursed you to mark you and gave you leprosy. Can you imagine hearing someone say that? That you went home today and all of a sudden you got cancer because you gossiped about sister so-and-so. Or you went home today and got cancer because you thought that you did a better job than somebody else. What kind of picture of God does that paint? Well, that's the kind of picture that was being painted there. And if you've ever had a bout with cancer and you hear all the remedy, uh, special, I remember one time when I had my bout with cancer, people came to me and they're like, you need to do this and that and God will heal you. No. Don't even equate it to God. It may not have anything to do with him. It maybe had to do with him as far as my reaction to this physical malady, which mine was genetic. It was something that I was born with. But it has nothing to do with him putting a curse on me. That somehow I need to do certain things to get myself out of this and restore his favor again. That's a bogus lie. And in a way, we as Adventists err on the side of telling those lies because we think that some people, we're almost Pentecostal in a way. You know, if you're Pentecostal, sometimes there's a belief that if you pray enough or if you do the right thing, that God will heal you. And if for some reason you're not healed, it's your fault. And we have the same problem, except for we attach a health message to it and say, if you didn't do everything exactly right, not that I don't believe in the health message, but does cancer come to those who follow the health message? Yeah. I've known people who've eaten all the veggie meat all their lives and they get pancreatic cancer. Okay, so imagine this scenario happening. And people attributing your sickness to a curse from God, considering you now spiritually contagious as well, and so you can't be a part of the community of faith. And would you be encouraged or discouraged by that kind of thing, that type of thinking? It would discourage some of us. And some of that still discourages us today. But I'm here to tell you a hopeful message. In Luke 4, verse 18, this, imagine there you are feeling hopeless, disconnected from your family, isolated from Israel in a leper colony, which there was one near Jerusalem. We have record of that. And so imagine you're near Jerusalem. You begin hearing rumors about a man named Jesus. And maybe somebody brings you food and drops it down in the prescribed way to wherever you guys are at. And along with it, a note, there's a man from Nazareth who's healing many. I mean, come on, guys. They didn't have email and phone and all that, but the word got around. And imagine the word getting around that his first sermon was about this. The spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. I mean, who else is poor in Israel than the widows, the orphans, and the lepers that are out there that have to be fed by their families? He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. There you are feeling somehow separated from God and your family and down deep you're broken inside. 
to proclaim deliverance to the captives. You want to be set free from that prison that you were in. New sight to the blind. Set at liberty those who have been crushed. To proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Deep down when the medicine doesn't work, this guy's hoping, hoping that Jesus will. And we know that there's evidences of him healing huge amounts of people. Look in Luke 4, 40. The sun's sinking. There Jesus was, a long day of ministry. All, as many as had sick ones with different kinds of diseases, brought them to Jesus. He laid hands on each of them. Imagine this huge multitude of sick people coming to Jesus with their family. They're carrying them. They're walking if they can. They're feeling around if they're blind. And Jesus touches each one of them. I mean, that ministry must have went long into the evening. To do all of that. And what's the result of Jesus' touch, touch of Jesus? He heals them. And so Luke follows this train of thought and goes on down, and we get over to Luke 5, and it happened that when he was in a certain city, behold, a man full of leprosy. This guy's leprosy had progressed to the point where it's just no longer being able to be contained. The word behold is saying, look, this is just, It's full-blown. You can see it. The guy's like rotting away. Some of them lose lips and uh, fingers and feet and they got claws all around. Imagine that type of scenario where this guy's coming and they can see him coming. He he has to yell out, unclean, unclean. But he's heard the hopeful report that there is a healer and he has made the journey. And the record tells us that Jesus has been healing and driving out demons near the synagogues in Galilee. He's over near a city near the Sea of Galilee. And so, for some reason, the security guards and the church members and all that, just, they, they're nowhere to block this guy. Have you read the story wondered how he got there without shouting unclean? Um, either he didn't say it, which was against protocol, <clears throat> which that brings up some other things, but, or he found an opportunity to approach Jesus with hardly anybody there. As I look at the text, a leper gets up the nerve to approach Jesus in chapter 5, verse 1. People have been pressing around Jesus to the point where he's, he's going to withdraw from them. It's just too much. He's overwhelmed. And because of that, he gets into the boat and begins preaching to the people, telling them the good news. And not only that, he tells his disciples to throw the net down, and there's a huge catch of fish. It's almost like Jesus knew there needed to be a smoke screen there to get this leper to him. I mean, they're focusing on this huge catch of fish, and I'm not sure if the security detail didn't notice, but Jesus, Jesus begins going into a city. And on the way in towards the city there, this guy just out of the blue gets a hold of him there. I mean, just start thinking, using your imagination here. So maybe they're focused on the huge catch of fish, and that's all getting word around. People are, ah, you know, and, and all of a sudden the leopard goes to Jesus. If only I can get to him. <laughs> if I could just get to him, touch him, or he, uh, he could just say the word. Surely he could reverse this curse. Surely he's been sent from God. If there's anybody who could do it, it could be Jesus. Well, here's my chance. There's not very many people around, and he goes up to Jesus. And one of the texts says that he falls down and worships him. And this one says, there he is. He's full of leprosy. And Jesus is near this city there. And it happened as he was in a certain city. Some say or near it. Behold, a man full of leprosy, and seeing Jesus, he falls on his face, begs him, saying, Lord, if you're willing, cleanse me. He uses a strange word there that you don't find with some of the other healings. This word there is katharizo, which goes back to Leviticus, the cleansing of the leper. 
He didn't say, Desotso, heal me, save me. He says, cleanse me. And with that, he's meaning remove the curse, remove everything, send me back home to my family. Restore me. And stretching out his hand, Jesus doesn't wait. He just touches him. Imagine not being touched for years. Imagine there you are rotting away and here's a man touching you. He says, I will, I'm willing, be clean. Immediately, the leprosy departed from him and Jesus commanded him, tell no one but go and show yourself to the priest. I mean, could you, could you refrain? Humanly speaking, would you feel like refraining? You, there you are. I mean, people walk and leap and praise God after they're healed by Peter. Imagine being touched by the master himself and, and the joy that comes into you and just the renewed feeling and your skin is there. It's all brand new and that lip is right there again. I mean, this, this guy's been restored. This is amazing. I mean, if Jesus can put an ear back on somebody, then surely he can put everything back together on this leper and it's all there. The toes of every This amazing story. But we find he doesn't do that. <laughs> he doesn't remain quiet. Go to the priest and offer for your cleansing as Moses commanded for a testimony to them. He didn't have to add that part to the statement. He could have just said, go to the priest, offer what Moses commanded. But he says, as a testimony to them. This cleansing is going to be a testimony to the religious community. It's going to speak about Jesus. It's going to bear a witness, be a matrao, a witness or a testimony about somebody. And who's that? Jesus. But the word about him spread even more, and great crowds were coming to, to hear and to be healed from their infirmities by him. And he drew back in the wilderness, and as some texts say, he began to pray. And so here's this individual. He's asked to be quiet. It makes me wonder if there's hardly anybody around, because if there was people around and they saw this guy coming and he got healed, surely they wouldn't have kept quiet about it. And another text tells us that he goes around voicing it. So he has to voice it makes me wonder if he came to Jesus at an opportune time, just at the right moment, hardly anybody was around. And he then begins to voice it. Christ's work is hindered by the crowd. And as the text continues on, we find he does offer what Moses prescribed. Leviticus 14 tells us what would happen concerning the cleansing of the leper. And I want you to know that, that not only was the healing a testimony but the very protocol that Moses outlined that the leper would go through is a testimony about Jesus. The cleansing ritual itself was a testimony about Jesus. It says here, and Jehovah spoke to Moses. Now we learned about Yahweh last time. That's Jesus speaking to Moses, saying, this shall be the law of the leper in the day of his cleansing. That's the same word used in the, in the Greek Old Testament, which some of them had. That's the same exact word that's used in Luke. Cleanse me. It's the same word. He shall be brought to the priest. So if in the day of his cleansing, he will be brought to the priest. And the priest shall go forth out of the camp. So somehow he, there's a protocol to get him to the priest, but also it involves the priest going out too. So you try to put that together. More than likely, he had to send somebody in to let the priest know. The priest comes out of the camp. Shall look and behold as a plague of leprosy is healed in the leper. So either that, he was privately brought to the priest, which should almost be, indicate almost what happened with Jesus there. And the priest would go out of the camp, look and behold that the plague of leprosy is healed in the leper, and then the priest shall command to take two clean live birds. Why is that important? Moses does not agree with the Babylonian tradition of two ravens. The Babylonian tradition, when a leper is cleansed, they would have two ravens that they would have involved in the process. And Moses just says, 
to clean live birds, right? So it's almost like he's against the culture of the day and doesn't want to, use, doesn't want to identify them any, in any way with the superstition of Babylon, the Babylonian tradition of two ravens. So two clean live birds. It doesn't tell us what kind, it just says two of them. For him that is to be cleansed. So two birds, cedarwood, scarlet, hyssop. And the priest shall command that one of the birds be killed. So imagine that happening, the bird's dead. There's an earthen vessel there, and the bird's killed. And that earthen vessel has living water, in the original language, in it. And that living water catches the blood, and it becomes a blood-water mixture. And so you get this earthen vessel that becomes a blood-water mixture. And he shall take the living bird then, and the cedar wood, and the scarlet, and the hyssop, and dip them in the living, and the living bird, in the blood of the slain bird over the running water. So you've got this water, this fresh water, most likely from a well, living water, not a cistern or some kind of, you know how you get that water that gets the film all over it, some of your, in your water catching devices. It's none of that. This is fresh, clean water in this earthen vessel. Kills the bird, dips the living bird and all those items down into it, and then he will sprinkle that water on this guy seven times, pronounce him clean, and then he walks out to an open field and lets that bird go. you see any symbolism in here? If you haven't seen it, it's, it's amazing, but it gets even more. It goes on and it says that he eventually will come into the camp. So he comes back into the camp. He's probably celebrating at that point. And on the seventh day, he will shave all the hair off of his head, all of his eyebrows and all of that. Everything's shaved. On the eighth day, he takes two male lambs without blemish and one ewe lamb of the first year, a yearling, and three-tenths a part of fine flour for a food offering, verse 10, mixed with oil and one log of oil. And the priest who is involved in the cleansing and the man who is to be cleansed shall stand with them before Jehovah, the Lord God, at the door of the tabernacle. And the priest shall take one male lamb and offer him for a trespass offering saying that his sins have been forgiven, and a log of oil, and wave them for a wave offering before the Lord. Now, that little part there that we add to the equation makes it very interesting because this man is not only restored to his family, which would be a wonderful thing to happen, but a celebration would have begun. Why do I say that? Well, let's look at this interesting quotation, Desire of Ages. The same priest who condemned the leper to banishment would be one who would certify his cure. Imagine there you are near Jerusalem and you had gone in there and a priest had pronounced you unclean and you left the camp feeling unclean for the rest of your life and now you go back in front of the, one of the priests that was on call or watch, whatever, and now they have to pronounce you clean. And so this begins to be a testimony to the priest. The sentence publicly pronounced and registered was a standing testimony for Christ. So this, this whole pronouncement, you're clean. They have to publicly register it and announce it for it to be ratified. And then it would stand as a testimony for Christ. And as the healed man was reinstated in the congregation of Israel through this whole ritual that we're talking about here, upon the priest's own assurance that there was not a taint of disease upon him, he himself was a living witness for the benefactor. He would be a witness for Jesus the rest of his life. Joyfully, he presented his offering and magnified the name of Jesus. This is how it happened. Jesus did it. The priests were convinced of the divine power of the Savior. Opportunity was granted to them to know the truth and be profited by the light. We talked about light in your superintendent time. 
rejected it would pass away, never to return. By many the light was rejected, yet it was not given in vain. Many hearts were moved that for a time made no sign. During the Savior's life, his mission seemed to call forth little response of love from the priests and teachers. But after his ascension, a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. So imagine, here's this man who's been cleansed. He comes there and follows that whole ritual in Leviticus 14, gets all the way through the seven-day process and does the lambs, and there they are waving it and publicly pronouncing him clean, and a celebration begins, and it's all because of Jesus. It's a testimony to Jesus. The cleansing is a testimony. And so I want to also point out that not only the healing was a testimony, but all of those components were a testimony. Where else do you see water, blood, Wood, hyssop, scarlet, one going free, the other one dying, a blood offering of a lamb, and then a wave offering, a celebration. It's none other than the life of Christ. Let's look at this. At the cross, water and blood, pierced side, flow right down out of that earthen vessel. Jesus himself in human flesh, becoming the flesh of Adam, which was made of the dust of the ground. This, this earthen vessel himself, water and blood flowed down. And not only that, he's nailed to the wood, right? And not only that, what was given to him on the cross? This hyssop sponge. They put it up to his lips. What did they crown, what did they crown him with? Some crown of thorns. And they clothed him with a scarlet robe. And as we get to the cross, a would-be insurrectionist there goes free. And Jesus dies in his place. Not only that, he dies outside the camp like a leper who was cursed and left outside the camp to die. Well, we know the lamb was sacrificed. That was Jesus. And we also know that Jesus, Paul says, as the earth quaked at the cross and people came out of their tombs and there was a resurrection, Right? Jesus and them were resurrected. Those were his first fruits, Paul says. And what would they do during first fruits? They'd kill a lamb and they'd wave the first fruits. And so you have all of this coming from this one story. All the whole ritual would point to Jesus' death, his burial, his resurrection, and the celebration that he conquered death. All there in the cleansing of a leper. Offer what Moses prescribed you. But not only that, it will be a testimony to them. So here we are reading the story years later and it still speaks of Jesus. If Leviticus can speak of Jesus, then I don't know of any book in that Bible reading plan that you have sitting out there in the Old Testament and goes from the Old to the New. I don't know of any, other, any book in the Bible that can't speak of Jesus then, if Leviticus can do it. And you get bogged down in Leviticus in your Bible reading if you go from Genesis all the way down through, but look for the Lord in Leviticus. You'll find him. This is one example of that. And so Jesus, he himself took on our leprosy. Here he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, feeling alone, feeling separated from the Father, feeling under the curse, being crushed down. And it got worse because he was betrayed by the religious leaders themselves. They considered him not to be a part of Israel, in essence, condemning him to death, not calling him a leper or saying he's cursed, but nonetheless implying it. And he dies in essence, under their pronouncement, there on the cross, separated outside the camp, and yet water and blood flow down, and those outstretched arms offer cleansing to all who will come. The best example of that is that, leper, is that thief right there on the cross next to him. We're told that the cross stands as a monument of faith, something we should look to often. 
not that we worship the cross. We're thankful for the one who died on the cross. And so Jesus provided the cleansing. And what do I do with this? You either apply this story of the leprosy being cleansed to yourself, or you'll be like the religious leaders there, some of whom knew of the cleansing because they had to literally take this fellow in and register him and proclaim him clean because of Jesus. He would then have to reject all of that evidence and then get rid of any of the witnesses to the cross like they did with the soldiers and all of that. Which one do we want to be? I mean, it should be clear. You can't focus too much on what Christ has done. It's just going to broaden and get more deep as the ages go on. And so I hopefully that we're the ones who want to apply the leprosy. And hopefully we're not going to end up being like them back then who wanted to kill not just Jesus, but they wanted to kill Lazarus. It says in John 12, but they watched for an opportunity to put Lazarus to death also. They wanted to silence the witnesses. They wanted to get rid of the ones who had been healed, get rid of the ones who had been resurrected. Because they all pointed to Jesus. And so they wanted to... Come to Jesus, the crowd says in verse 18, in John 12, verse 18, because they heard that Jesus had done this miracle with Lazarus. So more people were coming, more people were looking for Jesus, and because of that, let's kill the guy off. So in this story, we're either one or the other. We're either the ones who hear the testimony and accept it and rejoice over it and point people to Jesus, or we end up being the ones who reject Jesus, reject the miracles, and I can tell you right now, that's the road to the unpardonable sin. That's why it's very serious that what we consider as far as our content in this world. I want to be able to not be standing in the way for my life and yours to point to Jesus. And that seems so shallow to you. Why are you even here? Why am I even here if, if, I, if this isn't the reason? I mean, all the prophecies point to him. All the teachings, the 28 fundamental beliefs that we've talked about earlier point to him. The whole Old Testament points to him. Every miracle in our lives points to him. And the cleansing that takes place on an individual basis points to him. Imagine the sick and the lame there at the triumphal entry. And imagine there they are, some of the people who've been healed are now jumping and praising God and waving the palm branches and the children are right there in the front and they're telling them, shut the children up. That's always a symptom of those who are against Christ is that they always want to shut the children up. Not that we should allow them to run rampant, but the children have always been welcomed by Jesus. So they want to shut the children up, silence all the witnesses of healing, kill them off if they can, including Lazarus, so that they can gain power and control over the people. And so the freedom comes by recognizing what Jesus has done. And after the cross... Unfortunately, they couldn't silence Lazarus because we, we don't know exactly what happened to him from the t scriptures, but, but we do know that, that Mary and Martha and them are all present. There, there's still people around who are witnessing to Jesus. And after, the after Jesus is dying on the cross to take his body down, people are coming to Jerusalem looking for this Jesus. Imagine you have leprosy and you want to come and find this Jesus who you heard had cleansed. It's, it's registered. You maybe even went, you had your family go down and check it in the registry and see if it's actually, did it actually happen? Yeah, it was registered by the priest. It was publicly proclaimed. He went through the whole cycle. He's back in the congregation of Israel in the courtyard of the temple worshiping God. I mean, 
you could verify that story pretty easily back then. And imagine you come to that city there and you're looking for that opportunity to get, you know, get Jesus aside somewhere, but you're turned away. Imagine your disappointment that now that voice that often we talk of hope is gone and silenced. And the hands that would touch and heal are gone. The sufferers who had come to be healed by the Savior sank under their disappointment. The streets were filled with mourning and crying. The sick were dying for want of the healing touch of Jesus. Physicians were consulted in vain. There was no skill like that of him who lay in Joseph's tomb. Not only were the physicians silent, but even the religious teachers were silent. We had nothing to say back then. He's dead. We killed him. I mean, can you imagine having to say that? That the, the Sanhedrin and everyone condemned the guy? The church condemned him who heals? I think we still need the healing touch of Jesus today. Never had Christ attracted the attention of the multitude as now as he laid dead in the tomb. You can try to silence this whole message of Christ, but I can tell you right now, it's never going to happen. The more you try to silence it, the louder it becomes. Because silence is eloquence. It gets louder and louder and louder. According to their practice, the people brought their sick and suffering ones to the temple courts, inquiring, who can tell us of Jesus of Nazareth? Many had come from far to find him, who had healed the sick and raised the dead. On every side was heard the cry, we want Christ the healer. We want Christ the healer. Can you imagine that happening? Upon this occasion, those who were thought to show indications of the leprosy were examined by the priests. Many were forced to hear their husbands, wives, or children, children, pronounced leprous and doomed to go forth from the shelter of their homes, care of their friends, to warn off the stranger with the mournful cry, unclean, unclean, I can never be clean. The friendly hand of Jesus that never refused to touch with healing the loathsome leper were folded on his breast. The lips that had answered the petition, I'm willing, be clean, were now silent. Many appealed to the chief priests and rulers for sympathy and relief, but in vain. Apparently, they were determined to have the living Christ among them again. The sick were. With the persistent earnestness, they asked for him. They would not be turned away, but they were driven from the temple courts, and soldiers were stationed at the gates to keep back the multitude that came with their sick and dying demanding entrance. It's almost like the Garden of Eden where, where you find it's, Jesus has opened up this place of healing, and they're coming to the place that they know that he's been healed, and now the religious people have to drive them out and station guards at the door to keep them away. It's almost like the Garden of Eden, the fall all over again with those religious leaders, sending people away when they could have accepted the healer and brought healing into the temple courts. Sad story, but the cleansing was a testimony to them. Big time testimony, even in his death, it spoke volumes. So I'm gonna apply it to my life, leprosy of sin that I have, because I don't want to silence the witnesses to the cross. We need this cleansing. We need to be cleansed of these sins, six sins here, don't we? This, the rabbis taught that leprosy was a symbolizing a spiritual curse from God. Well, they themselves experienced the curse in A.D. 70 and, and beyond that. When the temple was destroyed and the blessing was not pronounced upon them, the glory of God had departed. Those who had, it, had leprosy were not only physically contagious but could potentially be a spiritual malady. And the malady really was not on the part of the followers of Jesus. It was on the part of, of the church of his day. They would lead many to be discouraged 
many were discouraged when they killed Jesus. Such thinking still discourages us today. Yeah, we're the same, aren't we? If you go to somebody who's been emotionally or physically hurt in some way by somebody else, and they just wish to somehow put it behind them, or you go to somebody who's had a terrible past of bad decisions, and they want to put it behind them, or you go through all these mental health problems that we're talking about, where does someone find relief if those methods don't work? They look to Christ. They look to some higher power. And if we're not lifting them up, then we're doing the same thing that they did back then. And so, young people, you've waited for your answer, for your sheet. It's 1 John 1, 9. How do I experience the cleansing? It says in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. All unrighteousness. That means you have to recognize your unrighteousness first and then go to the one who can provide cleansing and say, cleanse me. Otherwise, it ends up being like the one who, who uh, the, the Bible, the law points out, the Bible points out your sin, right? It's like a mirror. You go up to it and you take it off the wall and you begin wiping your face with it to clean all that stuff off your face. And you've been out working in the shop or in the garden and you got dirt on your face and you take the mirror off and you begin just wiping your face with it. Is that what a mirror is for? No, it wouldn't work very well. I remember one time I had a mirror like that and I, and I talked about breaking it and I actually broke it. Anyway. <laughs> or you, you take the mirror and you decide, you know what, I don't like what, how, that I'm dirty. And you start denying it and you take that mirror and you throw it down and you break the thing. Is that going to really solve your problem? That's like saying, okay, I can do everything myself. That's the first one, wipe it all off. And the other one's saying, well, it really doesn't matter what I do. I'll break it anyway. And you walk all over it. No, actually, the mirror is there to point out your sin and my sin. The Bible says we've all sinned. We all need cleansing. We need Christ's righteousness. Ours is filthy rags. And so the, the Bible points out our need for Jesus. The law points out our need for Jesus. And then 1 John says we go to him and we we have a part to play. The water, we turn the water on, soap up, wash up, we're cleansed. And so if we confess our sins, that's our part. He's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. If you've been controlled by the passions and things of this world and of this nation, it's time to be cleansed of it. The sex-crazed culture that we have has taken many captive. If you've been controlled by the greed and the, the want of wealth and money and driven to pursue that, you need to be cleansed. If you've been plagued by a past that for some reason leaves you feeling guilty and dirty, the point where you've got to wash and feel like somehow you've got to do things right all the time, and you've got the checklist, mental checklist, you need to be cleansed. If you somehow think you're better than somebody else, or you've got it all together, you need to be cleansed. I could go on and on, but in some way or another, we all need to be cleansed. And we all know it. And we all know it needs to be regularly. So I want to go to Christ. I want to recognize that he's not dead, <laughs> that he can actually apply that cleansing to my life. And in Revelation 21 says that I can, after I've been cleansed, I can go home like that leper went home. I can go home. There's a home ready for me. There's one in Revelation 22 where there's no more crying, pain, or sorrow, or guilt. It's all passed away. I can drink the water of life freely. I can tell others about this water of life and come for a cleansing to Calvary's tide. I can just point them to the water of life freely. And so maybe you need that cleansing and victory today. 
In your own way, I'm going to give you a time to, to come to Christ yourself regarding that. You can be sitting, you can be kneeling, you can be standing, you can be raising your hand. Whatever you want to do, it's up to you to respond to him. Next week, we'll be looking at Christ for a whole hour, but if, if for some reason there's stuff between us, it's almost like looking at a movie that's just a movie, you know? It's just fake. It's, it's Hollywood, right? This is a real story. If we're not cleansed and have things be separated, we have things separating us and God, we need to let those things go so we can focus on him more clearly. And so I'm telling this sermon today so that we can all prepare our hearts for next week. We can have a cleansing individually and then corporately come together and have a cleansing and move forward by faith with him. You can choose to believe and leave here clean. I want to leave here clean. I want to be able to look at my hands and look at my face in the mirror, look in my own eyes. Sometimes I do that. I say, Lord, is there anything? Anything. I want to be able to say, no, Lord, I feel close to you. You've cleansed me. So I'm going to invite Don to come lead us in our closing song. It's a beautiful song. It's uh, up on the screen there. And you can stand, you can kneel, you can, whatever you feel like you want to do between you and God, feel free to do it. And as this song plays, whatever is between you and God, there's six verses. Don asked me to, if I wanted all six. Yeah, we want all six. It tells a story. You'll see yourself in the story. And it may not be the leper, it may be the thief on the cross. It may be another one of these stories that are in the song. Wherever you are at in the song, respond to God, not to me. Number 336, there is a fountain. Sin. 
faith I saw the stream Thy flowing wounds supply Redeeming love has been my theme And shall be till I die And shall be till I die And shall be till I die Redeeming love has been my theme And shall be till I die Lord, I believe Thou hast prepared Unworthy though I be For me a blood-bought free reward A golden heart for me A golden heart for me A golden heart for me For me a blood-bought free I'll sing thy power to save When this poor lisping stammering tongue Is ransomed from the grave Is ransomed from the grave Is ransomed from the grave When this poor lisping Stammering tongue is ransom from the grave. Father in heaven, we're thankful for what Jesus has provided for each one of us. Whatever our sin may be, Lord, we come to you. There is a fountain filled with blood flowing from your veins, Jesus. Help us to access it here this morning when we leave this place on our, in our homes and our lives and help us to share that fountain with those around us until you come and we bring us all the way home, away from this leprous world, and you come back and you change this leprous world into your glorious world. We look forward to that day. And in Jesus, we ask you and thank you for what you're going to do in your name. Amen.